you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball five days a week. And yes, we are here now with the Alabama recap. So I record this early on a Sunday morning. Frankly, I got back, it was about 10.30 when I got back to my house last night. A little late for a podcast, I came to realize. Not only because, well, I was tired, number one. But number two, anybody who was really going to be awake to get the podcast last night probably was up partying, right? So people are either going to be in bed or partying when I drop that podcast. You know what? I figured, what the heck? A good little Sunday morning drop. Not the worst thing in the world before football, NFL football, that is, gets started. But you know what? On today's show, we got tons to talk about. Of course, yesterday's game, including, you know what? In this safety conscious world that we have, it kind of blows my mind that at Faroe Field, there's a really big safety hazard, in my opinion, that reared its ugly head yesterday. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about a player that, despite the loss, probably had a perfect rating for old pro from old pro football focus. But first, you know what? I just want to talk about the positives from the game. And frankly, the biggest overall positive to me is the effort. I mean, Missouri was absolutely blown out in the first quarter of that game. Clearly, we were outclassed, maybe even a little bit. Maybe some nerves were involved there from Sean Robinson specifically, maybe even Damon Hazleton. Both of these guys have college experience, but I don't know, just some some drops I wouldn't have expected and that type of deal. But the bottom line was, I think, by the end of the game, if you'd have told me before kickoff Missouri was going to lose by 19, I would have probably taken that because, well, I think we saw in the first quarter it, it could have been a lot worse. And you could certainly question some of Eli Drinkwitz's play calling in the first game. Though, frankly, I think that may be over-analyzing it a little bit to focus a lot on play calling at this point, especially against that type of opponent. But I think overall the Drinkwitz offense looked like about what I anticipated and what I more or less predicted on this show. A lot of a lot of jet motion, a lot of just motion in general, a lot of running on and wide receiver screens on first and second down, just extensions of the running game, that type of thing. Real, frankly, just conservative play calling is kind of what I was expecting in this ball game, and that's mostly what we got. And I think some people after the game were questioning the lack of, of deep shots that Missouri took down the field, at least early. But frankly, I, I don't know that Sean Robinson had enough time to get those deep shots off. But for, for me, the weirdest part of the play calling yesterday was how many lateral passes we threw to Daniel Parker Jr. Now listen, I love Daniel Parker Jr. He seems like a great kid. He's a hell of a road grader as a blocker. I can promise you that. I, I like the guy a lot. But as a explosive playmaker in the open field, a guy you're going to throw the wide receiver tight end screen pass to in the flat, I just don't think he's that kind of player. And frankly, I think he he proved that to us yesterday. So unless Eli is trying to show future opponents on film something that he's not going to really do in the future, I, I didn't really understand that particular line of thinking, quite frankly. And speaking of things that we anticipated, 
other than those rather ineffective flat passes in the flat to Daniel Parker, the tight ends were completely uninvolved in the passing game. And I think other than obviously Albert o, Albert O last season, that was basically true of the tight ends as well. So, and also last season under the Drinkwitz offense at App State, he basically used his tight ends as blockers. So I, I think that's what you'll see moving forward. So if anything, maybe Eli just wanted to show future opponents that yes, I am willing to throw passes to Daniel Parker. Now, when it comes to the quarterback position, Sean Robinson admitted after the game that there was a couple times where, obviously when he fumbled the ball, made a turnover, there were some times when he just needed to to throw the ball away, quite frankly. But you know what? He was under some brutal pressure at times, too. On one play, I mean, an Alabama defender just completely shot right up the middle of the defense with no 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 contact, no blocking whatsoever. So at times, I mean, Robinson didn't have much to do. And, you know, honestly, as the game went along, the one thing I was impressed with Robinson with, he's a good, he's good at changing his throwing angles when he has to. I wonder if he played some baseball in high school because he's got a little Patrick Mahomes in him just in terms of his arm angles. He can drop that thing sidearm and throw it around a pass rusher. It's a nice little trick to have in your bag for sure, but you know, overall, I thought Robinson looked okay. You know, it wasn't anything to write home about. It also wasn't anything to be worried about either, in my opinion. And as far as Connor Basilak goes, you know, I thought his first series was impressive. You know, he had a couple nice passes there. I didn't think his receivers helped him out very much, frankly. But, you know, later in the game, I think he missed a wide-open Kiki Chisholm I, I didn't frankly see that in the stands, but that that's what I'm hearing from the reporters, so I'll take their word for it. So, I mean, obviously it was a mixed bag from Basilak too, but, you know, I, I was just encouraged that he looked healthy. He looked, you know, confident with his knee, and, you know, he can still spin that ball. I'm telling you, there's something about that kid that I like. So, I'm not trying to create a quarterback controversy, but I certainly think we'll we'll see more, more Basilak going forward, certainly first series of the second quarter that was a very Gary Pinkle-esque move wasn't it we've all we've seen that for many years as Mizzou fans thought it was interesting that that Eli went with that strategy as well maybe Pinkle maybe that was Pinkle's idea I'd be I'd be something I might even ask Eli if I were in the press conference and by the way speaking of Kiki Chisholm the wide receiver transfer got a lot of hype in the preseason and well, he didn't. He was only targeted, I believe, three times in this game. Didn't have a lot of production. Was a pretty quiet night for Kiki. Obviously, as I said before, Basilak apparently missed him wide open on a third down play that would have gotten some big yardage. After the game, Chisholm said, I can't throw the ball to myself. Well, that's true, Kiki. You certainly cannot. Although, Sean Robinson did technically complete a pass to himself in this game. So, well, maybe, but... Point taken, Kiki, but you know, I didn't I gotta be honest, one game in and this kid is already complaining about targets. I don't know. That that rubbed me the wrong way, to be perfectly honest. Now hopefully maybe uh the coaches will get his mind right after the game and hopefully he'll frankly see some more targets and be really productive. But remember when people were giving Michael Porter Jr. a bunch of crap for saying, Hey, we need to get more guys involved in the offense over in Denver. Well, you know what? And frankly, this is a worse look because that almost seems like you're calling out your quarterback and not the coaches. You, you don't want to do that as a receiver. Trust me. 
But hopefully that'll be it for the Kiki Chisholm post-game outbursts. And we do have much more to get to in this podcast, including that dangerous, dangerous hazard that I was teasing earlier. We'll get to that after the break. But first, got to tell you about Built Bar. Because Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. And the all-new Built Bar is even better and more delicious than before. But just like the old formula, it's still low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, but even more importantly, high in protein. Yes, that's right, you meatheads. Get those muscles nice and big. And you can help. You can do it with the help of a good, tasty treat like Built Bar. Frankly, if you've never been to BuiltBar.com, I would definitely try that variety pack. And when you do, when you check out, be sure and use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first order or your next order. That's right. We've refreshed this campaign for our wonderful Locked On listeners. So again, that's BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off your very next order. Well, I haven't looked at any... 2021 NFL mock drafts recently. But if Jalen Waddell from Alabama, wide receiver, if he's not a top 10 pick, then I'm an idiot. Because my goodness, was that guy impressive yesterday. Holy Toledo, was he good. (laughs) I mean, that jump cut he had, when he just jumped to his right, I swear he jumped five yards to his right. I was right behind that play in the stadium. I couldn't believe my eyes. I really couldn't. And, of course, you know, he goes up and high points that ball, takes a big hit from a Missouri safety, comes down with it anyway. But you know what? That one touchdown catch he had, also very impressive, ended up getting his feet down. After that play, something happened to him that drives me absolutely insane. Because at Missouri, like many football fields, major football fields, NFL football fields, college football fields throughout this land, there's inexplicably a concrete track that encircles the field. And guess what happens when you're running full speed in metal football cleats when you start when you hit that concrete or that asphalt, whatever that surface is? Well, guess what? Your cleats don't go into that, and suddenly you're on ice skates, essentially. Well, Jalen Waddle was going full speed, couldn't slow down, so he starts skating on this track and basically slides into those brick stairs on the side of Memorial Stadium. Now, Waddle was fine, thankfully, but I just remember five years ago when Reggie Bush ended his career in St. Louis, back when the Rams were still in St. Louis. That's how long ago this was. It was at least five years ago. Reggie Bush has never been seen in the NFL again. Because when he got on skates on that track, he rammed into the wall and tore his knee up. I'm sorry, in a world where we're concerned, where, we're, where every single person in the stadium is wearing a mask to avoid COVID, and in a world where we're all worried about concussions, I don't know, perhaps we should get some kind of surface down on that track when we're playing football. Just an idea. Call me crazy. I'm so tired of seeing guys skate on this freaking track. But anyway, enough with that rant. I just wanted to get that out really quick. Let's get back to Mizzou-specific stuff. And you know what? I ended the previous segment talking about Kiki Chisholm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the Missouri receivers. 
Obviously, Jalen Knox, one of the definite bright spots from yesterday. It seems like it seems like for sure that Drinkwitz knows how to use Jalen Knox better than what Derek Dooley did, apparently. Apparently, he just does a lot better from that slot position, running some jet motion, all that good stuff. So an encouraging performance from Jalen Knox, who, frankly, a couple years ago after the 2018 season, I thought he was going to be perhaps our next great receiver. So hopefully he can bounce back after an inconsistent 2019. And speaking of maybe using guys a little bit differently, Dominic DeShinto, the guy who's shown some ability, some definite speed in the past, well, he did some good work on some crossing routes yesterday, and maybe that's maybe that's his speed. Maybe he's the crossing route king. I don't know, but he showed some ability there, and to sort of separate once he got that ball in, in traffic, well, he was able to speed it away for a first down and show some social ability to run with the ball after the catch is what I'm trying to say. So Dominic DeShinto, maybe a good sign there. A guy's been in the program for a while. A good sign for not only him, but just Eli being able to use guys properly. So, again, another guy to watch going forward. And again, with receivers, I thought Barrett Bannister played a pretty good game in on offense. On the other hand, I was surprised that Eli took out Chris Abrams' drain and put Barrett Bannister in late of the game at punt returner. Now, I understand the concept. He's obviously Bannister has had a shot at winning that job too. So, hey, let's get the second stringer in, give him a rep. But frankly, the true freshman, I believe he only got two punt returns, two shots at him. Maybe it was three, but I don't know. Give him more reps. If he's your number one guy, and again, he's a true freshman, get Abrams Drain back there and give him as many reps as you can. And well, sure enough, Bannister muffed the punt there. I just didn't, I didn't love that decision, but you know, I'm really nitpicking there though, to be fair. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously, Ennis Rakestraw had his hands full, and for the most part, I thought he did a pretty darn good job. He even broke up a pass, I believe, Alabama's first attempt. And Jarvis Ware, his start, his fellow starting corner, well, he went down early with a knee injury, didn't return to the game. Hopefully, Eli said it wasn't serious, but certainly second half, we noticed Jarvis was out of pads, wearing a knee brace, but walking around on it. So hopefully that is a good sign. Hopefully nothing too serious there, but I certainly wouldn't guarantee seeing him on Saturday against Tennessee. But again, just on the snaps, when I really concentrated on Rakestraw, I thought for the most part, again, considering he was going up against Devontae Smith for the most part and Jalen Waddle, so I thought he held his own okay. You know, it wasn't all perfect, but you know, considering the circumstances, I thought he did pretty darn well. And speaking of the secondary, you know, Tyree Gillespie and Josh Bledsoe, those guys have gotten a lot of praise over the last couple of years, and I, I thought they looked really good yesterday. You know, they were good in coverage, hard hitting. I thought they they fit the bill for sure. And with all that said, I will reveal who is sure to be Pro Football Focus's favorite player right after this. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe our kickoff guy, Sean Ketting, was perfect yesterday. He kicked every single one of those things, just about went through the field of play. They weren't just touchbacks, they were deep touchbacks. So nice job by him and nice job by Harrison Mevis. Field goal kicker, didn't have any hiccups that I noticed. Made at least one field goal. 
Punter did fine. Nothing wrong there. So there's some positives for you. Also, Trey John Jeffcoat, who suddenly emerged in the past couple weeks, reemerged on the Missouri roster. Well, he definitely showed out. Unfortunately, didn't see a whole lot from the rest of the defensive line. For those people who are saying that maybe Kobe Whiteside's production will will falter a bit without Jordan Elliott next to him, well, for at least one week, you might have a point. I think, frankly, all of this stuff will be maybe a little bit easier to evaluate next week in Knoxville because Tennessee much more of a fair test for the Missouri Tigers at this point, in my opinion. Now, as for what the actual game day experience was like, well, obviously it was strange, to say the least. And one thing was, for whatever reason, we had been led to believe that 15,500 Missouri fans were going to be allowed in. Well, it was down to 11,700 eventually. Not totally sure why that was. Maybe the Columbia, the Boone County Health Department made that call. I'm not totally sure. But regardless, you know, it it felt like because if everybody was spread out so well, it felt like there was more than 11,000 people in there. It really did. On the other hand, it was a very tepid atmosphere. You know, I, at first I thought, well, you know, it's 11,000 people, but it's it should be 11,000 among of among your most diehard Mizzou fans. But it was hard to get a lot of atmosphere going in that place. It really was. I don't know if it was the opponent. We were kind of waiting for, like, lambs at the slaughter. I, I'm not sure what the deal was there. I don't know if we weren't drunk enough. I feel like the half-price beers helped. I had a, I had my share of snappers, so it wasn't my fault, darn it. But, no, in all seriousness, clearly just a strange atmosphere. You know, and there were ushers, obviously, were around. My mom got told a couple times to get her mask back up, that type of deal. So, yes, there was some mask policing going on, but it wasn't too brutal. For some reason, my mom was viewed as a soft target, I suppose, but... I never got any mess for the mass, but I also kept mine up basically the whole time. So, unless I was drinking, which was, well, fairly frequent, but I digress. The biggest thing that they need to adjust is, to borrow a, a wrestling term, the canned heat. The fake crowd noise that was piped in to Faro Field. Well, first of all, it was my understanding that you could have some loud, actual loud crowd noise and you know, loud sound effects, that type of deal, up to maybe 100 decibels type level until there's 20 seconds left on the play clock. Well, Missouri never did that. It, it, they had their sort of, I don't know, probably 75 decibel, if I'm, if I'm guessing, that sort, of, that sort of level of noise. About 75 decibels probably of just, the, of just random crowd noises. It was all very strange. It never fit the action. It was often mistimed. And also, well, it would be the same crowd noise whether Alabama had the football or whether Missouri had the football. Well, here's an idea. Unless this is an SEC regulation that you just have to have the fake crowd noise for both sides at the same level no matter what, if that's the case, then just junk it, please. Like, it's not doing anybody any good. It's not creating a better atmosphere. It's just distracting. So just stop. On the other hand, if we're going to use the crowd noise, if we can use it to our advantage, please feel free to do so. Please feel free to actually turn up the volume when the opponent has the ball and feel free to just have zero crowd noise whatsoever when Missouri has the football. 
Is that a crazy concept? I think not. So, Mizzou, maybe get it together a little bit on the crowd noise, please. I realize it's the first game, but you couldn't have thought that this was the answer. So, with all that said, thanks for joining me on this show. We'll, be, we'll start previewing Tennessee the next time you guys get here. We may talk a little Alabama still, but I think we'll probably just get into Tennessee pretty quickly next week. So with all that being said, enjoy your NFL Sundays. And until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.